Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 4 through 12 today, but for the sake of context, let's read beginning in verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have saved us. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and rescue us. Lord, we admit that that all of us here, in one way or another, were a train wreck. But you had mercy on us, and you had grace upon us. And Lord, we're thankful that you invite us into the work that you are doing in the world. And I pray today that for each one of us here, that you might heighten our understanding of the very opportunities the very ways for you to move and work in and through our lives in supernatural ways that start off very naturally. So we give you this time today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? You know, over the years as a pastor and even as a Christian, I have been asked questions about vision. What is my vision for the church? What is my vision for my life? And, and questions like, how do you discover vision? And for years, I sort of felt this pressure that as a pastor that I needed to have some fresh vision for our church every single year. And the way that I was going to discover what that vision was, was to go to the mountaintop, so to speak, like Moses, and have this encounter with God, and have him speak to me, and then come home and deliver that message to the church. And I'll be honest with you, it put this like undue pressure on myself as the leader, and I put that on myself. And it also created some questions where I'd come, you know, home and, and I'd be like, did I really hear from God? Did God really speak to me? Or what if I was wrong? What if that was me more than God? And so in the last eight to ten years, my view of vision and my approach to vision has changed dramatically. My approach to vision these days could be summed up in in this simple way of simply discerning what is God doing and how is he moving in our church, in our city, in a situation, in some place, and just getting on board with it. And I love to use this analogy that really sums up my view of how I approach vision and getting direction from God for my life personally and for our church corporately. 
All of you who are surfers will get this and appreciate this analogy. But for those of you who don't surf, we, we live you know, in a place where you can go down to the beach and you can watch people surfing. So this will make sense to you. And if you've never took the time to watch guys catch waves, go down to the beach today and watch some guys catch some waves. And what I'm going to talk about today, this analogy that, that I want to kind of frame our Bible study in, will make sense to you. But if you've ever watched surfers go catch waves, this is what they do. They, they paddle out, they take their boards, and they paddle out into the ocean, and then they'll sit there on their boards, and they're watching, and they're waiting. What are they watching for? Well, they're watching for how the waves are forming. They're watching for where the peak is, and as the wave begins to form, what they do is they'll paddle over into position, and as the wave starts to form, they start to paddle, and they'll catch the wave, and they'll let the wave propel them, and they'll ride the wave. That's the title of our message today, is Ride the Wave. And that, to me, is how vision works with the Lord. You see, all of us are called to be surfers, so to speak, in this sense. All the surfers are going, do you hear what he's saying? He's telling me to go surfing. No, no, no. It's an analogy, all right? All of us are called to be surfers in this sense that, that we are to be in the ocean of this thing called the kingdom of God in this world. And all around us, on a regular basis, God is forming waves. Our job as believers is to be watching where God is forming the waves and paddle into position and catch the wave, the divine opportunity that God is putting before us, and then let God propel us and empower us to be used by him in this world. And when that happens, oh, it's exciting. When that happens, it can be life-changing, riding the wave that God has formed. But you know, some believers, they're not in the ocean. They're just on the beach. And they're sitting there on the beach, and they're watching others catch the wave. And they're thinking, they, they look and they go, man, that looks like a lot of fun, but I could never do that. And I think God's word to all of you who are in that place today would be, my child, get in the water. Get in the water. And watch and be surprised by what I am going to do in you and through you. Now, some of you are maybe wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Acts chapter 13? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I, I think what we see here in Acts chapter 13 is a great picture of God forming waves that the leaders in the church of Antioch are going to paddle into position so that they can ride the wave that God is forming. And the wave that God is forming ends up being the first great missions movement that we see here in the book of Acts. And the rest of what we see throughout the, uh, the book of Acts, it stems from, it's going to be the, 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 the kind of counterpoint, it's going to be the the addition 
to what God starts here in Acts chapter 13. If you're taking notes, I've got four big ideas that we're going to look at today as we unpack these verses. The first is this, that God's plan for our lives will never unfold until we respond in obedience to his call. That's the first thing we're going to see. The second thing is this, God often leads supernaturally in ways that start off very naturally. Third, the big idea is that we need to look for open doors. Those are the waves that God is forming. And the fourth big idea that we'll settle in on is that whenever there is an open door, you can always expect opposition. So we saw in our last study that this all starts, this first great missionary movement in the book of Acts, it happens when the leaders of the church in Antioch have gathered together, and we noted there in verse 2 last week that it says, as they gathered, they were ministering to the Lord. This is worship. This is devotion. They're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting for the wave to form. You could say they're in the water. They're waiting. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke. In verse 2 it says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. So that time of ministering to the Lord and fasting and waiting on the Lord resulted in a calling. God says, Set apart these two. It resulted in a confirmation because we read in verse 3 that after fasting and praying, the idea there is after more fasting and praying, so they continued to seek God for confirmation. And then after that confirmation comes a commissioning that they sent them off. And we see in this little picture, this natural progression, that they're praying and waiting upon the Lord, and it results in God speaking. Set apart these two guys. And they laid hands on them. They probably had a going away party for them. And there's a progression here. But listen, the progression doesn't come to completion until we read in verse 4, and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Everybody say, they went. You see, the ministry that God intended was not going to unfold until they were obedient to what God said. And so this is the first big idea. God's plan for our lives will never unfold until we respond in obedience to his call. You know, it's not uncommon in a gathering like this when we're worshiping and waiting upon the Lord for God to be speaking to hearts and moving upon hearts. That that in a setting like this today, perhaps, there's even a calling going on, that God has been, been stirring your heart about something, and you're seeking that confirmation. But listen, that work is never going to come to fruition until you step out. You know, when God put on my heart to do this cohort thing with Joe and the, these guys, I, I saw confirmation. I talked to some ministry friends of mine and said, hey, I got this idea. I really don't know anybody in our movement that's done anything like this before, but what do you guys think? And they were like, oh, yeah, you got to do that. I think that'll be amazing. I think some guys really, really need that. They'll be encouraged by that. I talked to our ministry team here, our leadership team. They said the same thing. Oh, yeah, you need to do that. We want to get behind this. And so I got the confirmation. But it wasn't until I picked up the phone and called Joe and called these five other guys and said, hey, this is something God's put on my heart. He's put you guys on my heart. What do you think about this? And we're going to meet together over the course of a whole year, three different times, four different times we're going to meet for three days at a time. What do you think? It's a big commitment. And they were all like, we're in. 
And what God has done in this group of guys has been beyond my imagination. It has been a great ride. It has been so fruitful. We're going to have our last gathering together next month. But it's a question. Has God called and confirmed something in your life that he's your heart about something. He's given you the confirmation. Look at verse four again. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Can I encourage you? Stop procrastinating and go. Take that step of faith. So we read they went, and then it says in the latter part of verse four, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So this team that goes out, it starts out, it's really small. It's three guys. There's Barnabas, there's Saul, and there's this guy, John, also known as John Mark. He's sort of the intern guy. We're going to learn more about him next week. But they go to Seleucia. Now, Seleucia is like the port of San Diego. This is where they go to catch the ship that's going to take them to Cyprus. So they sail off to Cyprus. And we have a, I want to show you a map here. So Cyprus is about 60 miles from Antioch, where that's Syria. So they get on a boat, and they head there. And, and there's two major cities in, on the island of Cyprus. There's Salamis that's on the northeast end, and then there's Paphos that's on the southwest end, and they're going to work their way through the entire island, traveling, going from village to village and city to city, and they're going to preach the name of Jesus. We actually have missionaries in, on the island of Cyprus in Paphos, so we have a picture here. Cyprus is a beautiful, beautiful, isn't that a beautiful island? This beautiful island. So the question is, why did they go to Cyprus? Well, it's beautiful. <laughs> who, would, who wouldn't want to go and serve Jesus there, right? No, that's not the reason. I'm sure we could say that, okay, it was because God led them there, and, and I'm sure you know that's true. That's a big part of it. But I think there were two things that the Lord used to draw them there. And this is the second big idea that I want us to consider today, is how God often leads us supernaturally in ways that start off as being very, very natural. It's like the waves. The waves are for, forming. It was natural for them to go to Cyprus. Why? Because there was a great connection between the work that God did in Antioch and the island of Cyprus. Remember God birthed this incredible church in Antioch. People were, were getting saved. The church was growing. People were becoming disciples. In fact, we're told in Acts chapter 11 that it was in Antioch that the Christians were first called, or the, the believers in Jesus were first called Christians, little Christ. But remember how that work started? Turn to Acts chapter 11, if you would, for a moment. We learned in Acts chapter 11, if you were with us, that the whole work that started in, in Antioch, it happened because when the persecution came upon the early church there in Jerusalem, the, the people were scattered. And it says they went everywhere. They went out from Jerusalem, and they took Jesus with them. And they went at preaching. Notice verse 19. 
Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So these guys are are being scattered, they're going out, but they take Jesus with them. And can I encourage you, wherever you go, when you go to work tomorrow, take Jesus with you. Take him with you. That's what we're called to do. Take Jesus with us wherever we go. And that's what these guys do. They take Jesus with them. And so these believers flee to Cyprus and they bring Jesus with them. And people in Cyprus are getting saved as well. God's doing a great work in Cyprus. But then we read in verse 20, but there were some of them, and it doesn't tell us their names. These are no-name guys, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So this whole work that happens on, on, the, on Antioch, there in Syria, that ends up, Antioch ends up being the catalyst for the work of God, that's, the work that God's going to do in the second part of the book of Acts. It starts when these no-name guys just go to Antioch, and they preach Jesus, and revival breaks out. And the work of God in Antioch is so great that the apostles clear down in Jerusalem, they hear about it, and they're like, we need to send somebody down there, someone mature to to disciple and encourage all these new believers. Who should we send? Who better than Barnabas, the son of encouragement? So they send Barnabas down there, and Barnabas gets down there, and the work's so great, he goes, I need help. So he goes and finds Saul of Tarsus. This is what we've looked at so far in our study here in the book of Acts. But the thing that I want you to catch is that here in Acts chapter 13, when God is calling Barnabas and Saul to go out, I think it's so natural that the first place that they would go to would be Cyprus because they had connection there. They're looking for God to form the wave. And, and the, when, when you and I are looking for God to form a wave, this is what I want you to catch. The wave can be a place, it can be a person, it, but it usually starts with a relationship. And so I ask you this question today. Where's the wave that God is forming in your life right now? What's the relationship? It's the wave that God is wanting to work. When I think about the way that God has worked in and through this church in the 34 years that I've been a part of it, seven as a youth pastor and 27 as the lead pastor, I've seen the Lord do this over and over and over again in so many ways. You know, in the late 80s and on through the 90s and into the 2000s, as a church, we were really, really involved in outreach to Eastern Europe and to Russia. Hungary, Yugoslavia, several other places in Eastern Europe. And both of those works, that that just was year after year of sending teams to these different places, We the, the wave that was forming started with relationships that Pastor Brian Broderson had with some people in Eastern Europe and George Bryson had with some people in Russia. And that was the wave. It was a little wave that turned into a huge wave. And we saw God just move and work. What did we do? We simply just paddled into position. I had a chance to go on many of those trips. I took over 100 high school kids once to Russia. I would never recommend that, by the way. (laughs) 
But it was an amazing time, and God did an incredible thing on, on that trip. But it started through these relationships. And that's how God so often works. You know, to date, we have seen 33 churches planted all over the United States and different parts of the world out of our church. And that doesn't even include the ones that we were a part of with George Bryson in Russia. But every single one of them, it started with relationships. I think back to 1997, George, I mean, John Randall, he was our college pastor at the time. And he ends up going out to Brandon, Florida to plant a church. It would be the first of 18 churches that, that we planted since I've been here as pastor. Why Florida? What was the wave? The wave was a family, the Higgins family, that had been here that moved to Florida, to Brandon. They knew John and they knew Michelle. And they said, hey, we'd really like to have a Calvary Chapel here. Would you guys pray about going out? And so John and Michelle, they pray. God speaks to their heart. We end up sending them. That was the wave. And God did an incredible work there and a wonderful church that got started that continues to this day. And our former junior high pastor, Mark Orozco, who got connected to John, he's now the pastor of that church because John's doing a great work here in Calvary OC. When John left, a guy named Charlie Campbell took his place as our college pastor, and he was also our graphics guy, and he started our school of ministry. And Charlie, the wave that came throughout with Charlie was Costa Rica. Why Costa Rica? What was the connection? What was the wave? Well, Charlie had, prior to coming on staff with us, had been involved in the surf industry. And so he had gone on some trips and done some business things down in Costa Rica. And so he had a heart for Costa Rica. And he had these relationships in Capos, Costa Rica. He says, hey, I want to take some people. I want to take a team down to Capos, Costa Rica. What do you think? I said, yeah, let's go for it. So they go down there and God does the work. And sure enough, a church gets planted in Capos. That would result in two more churches that we would help plant in Costa Rica. One of them would be by Phil McKay, who when Charlie ended up going off staff and going full-time in his apologetics ministry, Phil takes over as our college pastor. And Phil had gone on some of those mission trips to Costa Rica with Charlie. And God had been stirring his heart. And he comes to me one day and says, hey, I feel like God's calling Rebecca and I and our family to go plant a church in Costa Rica. Now, Phil is as white as can be. I mean, he's blonde hair, him and Rebecca both. Blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin, and they didn't speak a lick of, speak a lick of uh, Spanish. But he goes, I think, I think God wants us to go to Costa Rica. And I'm like, okay. And so they go down there. And they plant this church, and God does this incredible thing. Church grows, they buy property, they build a building, he raises up a national, you know, turns it over to them. How did it start? It started through a connection, a wave that Charlie had through business with some people in Costa Rica. A new wave that came about was ministry in Africa. How'd that happen? Well, we had a family that shows up. They moved from Zimbabwe, Africa, here to North County, San Diego, and they end up in our church. Of all the places they could end up, they end up here. And right away, they just get drawn in by the expositional teaching of the Word of God, and they're like, we need something like this in, in Africa. Will you come and, and, and train you know, pastors here in Africa to teach the Bible like this? And, and i got to be honest with you, I never wanted to go to Africa. 
You meet some people like, I want to go to Africa so bad. I'm like, good for you. That's not me. In Africa, they have big bugs. They have lions and tigers. They have horrible food. I didn't want to go to Africa. But this family shows up, and there's this need, and they're calling. This is the wave that God is forming. And so we end up doing, you know, the training pastors there for years, and that leads to more invitations, and we're speaking at more conferences, and we end up doing a lot of stuff in Uganda, and we're taking teams to Uganda, and and, and we're still involved there in Uganda to this day. And all of that started was through this relationship with this family. That was the wave that came here from Zimbabwe. Another wave was New Zealand. We're involved with two different churches in New Zealand and while doing ministry in Hungary. I met a guy by the name of Mark Walsh who taught at the Bible College in uh, Hungary. Years later, Mark leaves and he goes to start a Bible College in New Zealand. I see him one day at a conference out here. He says, hey, would you pray about coming to New Zealand and speaking at a pastor's conference that we're going to have in New Zealand? And I said, yeah, that sounds like a neat idea. That sounds like a a wave. This is how I'm thinking. Okay, this is maybe a wave that God is doing. So I agree to go on that trip. And I find out that a guy, Dave Heitman, who used to pastor Calvary Chapel Point Loma, and Calvary Chapel Point Loma would always come with us to our men's retreats. Well, I find out Dave is pastoring now in New Zealand. He's going to be at this conference. He finds out I'm coming. He asked me, he says, hey, would you come and speak at our church while you're here? I'm going, okay, here's another wave, a relationship, a connection. God is forming, wondering, okay, is this, is this a church that God wants us to, you know, get involved with? Well, a week before I'm supposed to go on this trip, Dave ends up having to resign and come back to the States for some personal reasons. And so I speak at this church, and they're, like, crying. They're, like, so hurt. They've lost their pastor. And the leaders there ask me, will you help us find a pastor? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll help. Lord, help. You know? <laughs> a few months later, I'm in... Africa again, in Uganda. I'm speaking at a conference there, and during one of the free times, I run into this American pastor who's been pastoring in Uganda for 11 years, a guy by the name of Doug Calhoun, and I'm talking to him, and he's telling me about his ministry there and how it's been so great, but how he's raised up an African to take his place, and he's praying right now about what's next. And I'm like, well, there's a church in New Zealand. It's only 8,000 miles away, but it's a great place. Long story short, the Calhouns are there now. They're pastoring that church. We kind of helped them replant that church, and it's doing fantastic. Well, that led to the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Auckland calling and saying, hey, I'm about ready to retire. Will you help us find a pastor? And so we did. The Kellys. So my point is, 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 this is how it works, is God brings these connections, these relationships into our lives. And I could go on and on and on for hours in talking about how God brings these different stories like that, about how God brings you know, people together. Sending Rosemary Kovach, who's here this service today, over to Hungary. Her dad was from Hungary. There was a connection. She meets Nick Cady. They ended up getting married. Now they pastor this church in Colorado. Why Colorado? Nick was from there. God moves and he works in our lives in these supernatural ways where he's impacting lives and changing lives and moving people. But often it starts in very, very natural ways, a very natural connection. Does that make sense? All right. 
So why Cyprus? Well, they had a connection with these guys who helped plant the church in Antioch. But there was also another connection, Barnabas. He was from there. He was from Cyprus. You know, turn to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we saw the birth of the early church happening in Acts chapter 2, and Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved, and his next sermon, another 2,000 people get saved. Now the, you know, it's, it's a few months into the birth of the church. It's, it's a mega church. It's 5,000 people, and there's all these people coming from all these different places, you know, in, because of Pentecost, and they're there, and they've received Jesus, and he's the Messiah, and they don't want to go home. So the whole church is, they're sharing, they're selling things, and they're giving the proceeds, and they're taking care of one another, and they're living the communally out of necessity. And that's when we read this in verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' Why did they go to Cyprus? Why did this group of guys, these three guys going out to start this first missions movement in Acts 13, why did they go to Cyprus? Because Barnabas was from Cyprus. So it was natural for him to say, I want to take Jesus to my hometown. I want to take Jesus to my family and my friends. And we've seen God move in this way here in our church in so many times through that family connection. I'll give you one. Back in 2000, a guy by the name of Dave Anderson, he was one of our home group leaders. God starts stirring Dave's heart. I've got, I've got family. My wife has family in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I think God wants me to go there and plant a church. So we took Dave, we spent a year training him, and we send him out to Mount Pleasant, Texas. Anybody heard of Mount Pleasant, Texas? I'd never even heard of the place before. Dave goes there, he plants a church, God moves and works, great work happens. And about 45 minutes from there, in Paris, Texas, some people hear about what is happening in Mount Pleasant, and they come to Dave and say, we'd like to have a Calvary Chapel here too. Can you, can you help us find a pastor? Dave calls me. Hey, there's a group in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I need a pastor. Well, about a week after that, I'm at family camp, and the Duffs, Jason and Christy, who Jason was our high school pastor at the time, they're there, and Christy at lunchtime says to me, hey, if you ever hear about anything in Texas, let me know. I've got family there. We'd be interested. So I mentioned to Jason, I said, hey, I just got a call from Dave Anderson, and there's people in Paris, Texas. They, they, They want a pastor, and this is what Jason said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, listen, Christy wants to go to Texas. I don't. (laughs) I told him, I said, Jason, just pray about it. Let's just pray. Let's just see. Maybe you should go check it out. Well, he prayed. They went and checked it out. They end up going there, and God did this incredible work. Amazing church gets planted that impacts that city in a radical way. And then God ends up bringing them back to California and through the course of a couple different things that happened because of, of Phil's connection, Phil McKay's connection to Jason, another wave, another relationship. Um, Phil is now transitioning out of Costa Rica and Jason's like, you should take the church in Paris. And that's what happened. 
See, that's how God moves and, and he works. And, and again, I could tell story after story of God doing something that is supernatural that started off very, very naturally. And God is wanting to move supernaturally in your life as well through natural connections that you have in your life. Are you in the water? You see, you have a sphere of influence place where you live, the place where you work, the place where you go to school, the coffee house that you visit, the, the gym that you go to, that, that is, is, is your ocean. And in that ocean, God is, is forming these waves, these connections. He's stirring up things that he wants you to be watching for, connections that, okay, why, why did God connect me to that person? Is it a wave that you can paddle into position? And God might just take you on the ride of your life. Now, sometimes we catch waves, if you've ever surfed before, and you crash. You fall. That's okay. It's part of the process. It's part of the fun. Well, that leads us to consider the third big idea, and that's how we need to look for open doors. And I want you to look at verse 5 again. It says, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues, notice that plural, of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Why the synagogues? Why did they go there? Well, Paul was a former Pharisee. Barnabas was a Levite. So these two guys have a strong Jewish connection. What is that? That's an open door. Let's go to the synagogues. This would be Paul's mode of operation that we'll see throughout the book of Acts. He always would start with the Jews in the synagogue. Paul believed, he wrote this in the book of Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then also for the Greek. We could say that Paul went to the place where the people were were seeking. Can I encourage you, look for open doors. Look for those around you who are seeking, who are interested in spiritual things. That could be the way that God is forming, and he's just waiting for you to paddle into position. So they go throughout the islands, city after city, village after village, and they're in the water, and in every, any, every city they come to, there's a synagogue, and that's the wave that they see forming, and that's where they go. That's the open door. But when they arrive in Paphos, there's another open door. Look at verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul of Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. This time, the wave that is forming, the open door that is presented to them is radically different. They, they get an audience with the governor. That's what it means when it says that Sergius Paulus was the proconsul. It tells us he's an intelligent man. He's a man of influence. And he calls for Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. And I want you, don't, don't miss this. You saw the picture, okay? Paphos is a beautiful place. Even in that day, it was a beautiful island. Like San Diego, it was a destination place. Roman generals and officials would vacation there. They would retire there. It was a place that was opulent. It was a place that, that was wealthy. It was a place of pleasure. But it was also a dark place. 
And I point that out because so often, you know, we live in a beautiful place here in San Diego. I think North County, San Diego is one of the hidden gems of California. We live in this place that is beautiful, and we're surrounded by beautiful things, and we're surrounded by wealth. And it's easy for us to look at people around us and think, man, they have everything going for them, and they don't have any problems, and that's just not true. This guy, Sergius Paulus, was a man of power, possessions, wealth, but he was a man who was searching. And all around us are people who are searching and people who are hurting. I mean, did you, do you know that San Diego is the crystal meth capital of the United States? Did you know that San Diego plays a major part in the sex trafficking that happens in the United States? People around us, friends, they're lost. They need Jesus. And we need to bring Jesus to them. We need to look for, for open doors. So this open door is forming. Sergius Paulus wants to hear about Jesus. And I want to just pause here for a minute because this is so amazing to me. Here in Acts chapter 13, what happens on the island of Cyprus that God does here. Paul and Barnabas are going out. They keep catching these waves. They're moving throughout the, the island, bringing Jesus with them. But we're not told. Hear me on this. We're not told about the results of their actions. We don't hear that revival broke out. Thousands got saved. We don't know what God did on the island of Cyprus. And I think that's on purpose. Because the focus is not the result. The focus is on their obedience. It's on their movements to walk through these open doors their movements to paddle into position and catch the wave. And sometimes we place way too much emphasis on the outcome of things when God is interested in the process. Too often the win for us is results and it's seeing fruit and it's seeing people get saved and seeing God do a work. And when God does that, it's amazing. It's wonderful. But the win for God is seeing people respond to his leading. The win for God is seeing his people catching the waves. You ever go down to the beach and you see a dad teaching one of his kids how to surf? And that little kid gets on that board and he falls and he gets on the board, but then he finally gets up and he, and he rides it in. And you see that dad, he's jumping up and down. He's just like, whoa! He's screaming at the top of his lungs. Like, he wants everybody on the beach to see. I think that's God. He's like saying, did you see that? Rob caught a wave. It's amazing. That's what he's interested in. He's that dad who just wants us to be involved in, in what he's doing, to catch the waves that he's forming. Will you respond? Leave the results up to him. I think of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, he was a guy who ministered for a long time. And I think when Jeremiah died and entered into heaven, I think he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You know how many converts Jeremiah had in his ministry? Zero. He was just faithful. Will you be faithful? Let's wrap this up. We see the fourth final big idea is that when God opens doors, expect opposition. Look at verse 8. But Elimus, 
The sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this guy Bar-Jesus or Elimus, the sorcerer dude, he withstood them. The word withstood means to stand against, and his goal, we're told here, is to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. And this is something you can count on. Whenever God opens a door, whenever God forms a wave, you can always count on that Satan will oppose. Why? He doesn't want to see people come to know Jesus. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, that a wide open door for effective work has opened it to him. But he said, but there's many adversaries. And those many adversaries, the force behind them was Satan himself. Notice verse 9, though. It says, then Paul, who is also Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking intent, looked intently at him, and said, O oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, the devil's the father of lies, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease in perverting the straight ways of the Lord? That last line is interesting to me. Will you not cease in perverting the straight ways of the Lord? The Lord has made a straight path for sinners to be saved. He's made a straight path for people who are lost, who have been his enemies, to be reconciled. And that path leads directly through the cross, through the work of Jesus. What Jesus did in leaving heaven, coming to this earth, dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's the straight path. And Satan is always trying to make that path crooked. He does it through religion. The religious groups that want to say it's Jesus plus something else. That Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus, but you also need to do these things and follow these rituals. That's a making the, the straight path crooked. He seeks to do that in the lives of, of people through extremism. That they, he wants people to get to think that the way they're going to fill the void in their heart is through pleasure or possessions or through relationships with, with other people. Here we see in our text, he's doing it through sorcery. The sorcerer, Bar-Jesus. And Paul deals with this guy head on. He calls him out. But I want you to notice it says that Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lesson in this. You and I cannot fight the spiritual battle. We can't stand against the works of the adversary in our strength. That's why Paul said we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That the Bible, what God wants us to realize, friends, what he wants us to understand, church, is the very power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave is available to you and I. You know, it's interesting in our text, it tells us there in verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul, there's a name change that happens. And for the rest of the book of Acts, he's known as Paul. Why, why, why this? Two things really quick I want to point out. Saul was a Hebrew name. Paul was a Greek name. Paul's going to go out and he's going to minister throughout the book of Acts to mainly Gentiles. And Paul would say this, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. I'll change my name if that helps me win but another reason is the word Saul, the name Saul was big in Israel. The first king was named Saul. It was a prominent name. The, word, the name Paul means little. And I think this was another thing that was on Paul's heart. Paul said, you know, for me to be used by God, I need to make myself little. 
I need to depend upon him and his strength. So this isn't no little thing when it says Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch what happens, verse 11. He says, now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Bar-Jesus was dwelling in spiritual darkness and now God's going to let him dwell in physical darkness with the hopes, no doubt, of getting his attention that he would really be broken and come to Jesus. We don't know what happened to him though. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the word. Notice that it wasn't the miracle that caused Sergius Paulus to believe. It was the teaching of the word of God. And that's another reminder to us. I'm going to close with this. The word of God is powerful, guys. And God just wants us to share it. He just wants us to be his messengers. All around us, every single day, he's forming waves that he wants us to be watching, looking. Is this a wave? Is this a connection? Is this a relationship? Paddle over in a position. And when that door opens, tell them about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Share the word. Because the Bible says it doesn't return Let's surf, all right? Let's ride the wave that God puts in our path. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for being this God who is so great and so awesome. This God who loves to connect dots and connect people to do supernatural works through natural means to do extraordinary things through ordinary people who are just willing to catch the wave. Lord, I pray that we would be people and we would be a church looking for the waves that we might ride them, that we might allow you to propel us in your power, your strength, and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand together.